Organized labor in Iowa has been fighting a really, really difficult battle, but you've been doing it in, in a way that shows so much passion, so much strength. I apologize that you ever got to know Donald Trump, but this New Yorker volunteers to get rid of him for you. Thank you, everybody. Okay, so that was uh, a little bit different. Um... You can't make this up. Anyway, glad you're with us. News Roundup Information Overload Hour. There's our new friend, comrade. I never answer any questions, de Blasio. Um, and that was a look. I feel sorry for the guy. It's not his fault. The audio is bad. I, I have some level of sympathy because I'm in this business and tech problems are just a pain in the neck uh, when they happen. I'll never forget the day. I forget what country we were in. Uh, you know, we're racing with from with all our equipment from one place to another place. We got on the air minute before airtime. Where was that? England? I don't remember. That is correct. Piccadilly yeah. Square. Linda's having a heart attack. I literally said to her, I said, it's fine. Blair, you guys, look, if we don't get on, we don't get on. We got plan B back up. Yep. We had Mark Simone standing by. He's a good friend of ours. We did not ours. have Mark Simone standing by. Who we did we Greg have Jarrett standing by? standing by. Greg Jarrett standing by. He's another good friend of ours. And so I said, look, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You guys, I know you did your best. It, there are issues beyond our control here, and that would be I Blair not the, having the I Blair think, not having the proper equipment. No, Blair and, did not have the proper equipment because somebody else did not give him the proper equipment. Right. So let's blame up. Let's let's listen. blame somebody else. I'm not blaming you. Let's blame Blair. Blair no, deserves it's to not get Blair's fault either. Blair. It's not Whoa. Blair's fault Whoa. either. Blair's having a heart, a meltdown here. All right. as, he, as he should. Well, well, these things. The only point is it happens. But you know, Mister One Percent. Why don't you just I, take it? It's above your pay grade. It's all right. Okay. Oh. Listen, Mom, my pay grade was, and to my credit, I told everybody, don't worry. I know you've tried your best. I don't worry about it. Well, Stop. we tried our best with the wrong Because one person was, was acting insane. Excuse one of, me. I was one not insane. Sweet, and it wasn't sweet baby James, and it wasn't Blair. The one person was acting like a total, complete So I'm leaving lunatic. the studio now. Goodbye. No, don't leave the studio. This is too fun. A total, complete lunatic. And I'm like, it's okay. Just keep trying your best. If it works, it works. If not, we're going to go to the sports bar and get some wings. That's what I would have said. I want to get on. I didn't want to not get on. We prepared the show. I'm ready to go. But if it doesn't happen, Just so sometimes you know, it- England is not known for fine cuisine. Well, that's why I said a sports bar that was in the local casino in Piccadilly Square, whatever they call that place. Rafael in Piccadilly. Yeah, exactly. Um, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. Anyway, look, things aren't going well for any of these candidates. You got crazy, sleepy, creepy Uncle Joe's gaff a second. Um, and all the Clintonites are now mentioning and everybody else is mentioning that, uh, well, not doesn't look like he's going to cut it, which is interesting to me. And then you've got, okay, so. Socialist one is surging a little bit. That would be Bernie Sanders. Now a national poll shows he's regaining second place uh, on the economist. YouGov poll that was released uh, yesterday, amplifying his battle against fellow socialist one 1024th Elizabeth Warren, who the president affectionately refers to as Pocahontas. And so he's in second place. Then what's left? I mean, the only thing that's left in this party, Jay Inslee, nobody knows. He's out of the race. Cory Booker is never going anywhere. Uh, People that thought Kamala Harris was going to do so well, she's not doing well at all. And she's now teamed up with AOC and the new Green Deal and Medicare for all, which will eat up the entire budget. And Gillibrand is is now 
out there with a great agenda accusing Trump of demonizing transgender people. I, you know, okay, um, she has like 1% in the polls, and I don't think any of them are breaking through or will break through. Anyway, joining us now to uh, discuss and debate our good friends, Jonathan Gillum, uh, former FBI agent, federal air marshal, author Sheep No More, Danielle McLaughlin, attorney. How are you uh, both, Danielle? Uh, who are you liking now on your side? Who do you think? can beat Trump. Well, I mean, to your point, Sean, uh, everyone is still saying that it's Biden, that it's Biden, that he's electable. He is still winning in pretty much all the polls, as you point out. And I will point out that this time, four years ago, it was now President Donald Trump who was in the and so if history is anything to go by, uh, I might imagine that Biden might be the one to make it. But we'll see. I'm looking for a name. Who do you think will win and who would you like to see win? Well, I really like uh, Pete Buttigieg. Um, well, well, slow I down. Mayor Pete can't run South Mayor Bend, Pete. Indiana. South Bend, Indiana. He can't run it. It's a disaster. The people there don't even like him anymore. He has no track record. Uh, what well, would qualify Mayor Pete to be the people. president of the United States? Seriously. He has he has, he has what? He has nothing. He's I've done more I, I in a week than this guy's done as South Bend mayor. Donald Trump had no political experience and he was elected to be the president of the United States. The first time in history that we didn't have someone who. Was OK, here's the guy that fixed woman ring. Can be done. Here's the guy that became a, a billionaire. He's built some of the biggest buildings in the entire country in the hardest, toughest city to do business in uh, a track record of speaking out on issues. Nobody ever heard of Pete Buttigieg until now. So you think you think he's the savior. He's going to be the one that's, that can beat Trump. Is that what you believe? I'll just I just ask you. Don't, I, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't know. I like him. I like the way he talks about freedom. He's a smart guy. I love the way he talks about religion. I agree that. Sure. Okay, he's a he's smart guy. There's a, a lot of smart people. This man. is the president of the United States. You think he's got what what it takes to be yes, president? Uh, absolutely. Because the, he can't even he's run his own little city of South Bend. And it seems like his biggest accomplishment was coming up with IDs for people that were in South Bend illegally. You're looking for perfection, then Donald Trump would not be president. Trump University, $30 million fraud settlement just before. Here's he all elected. I know. We've Nobody's got perfect. here's what I know. We went from Biden, Obama, 13 million more Americans on food stamps, 8 million more in poverty, lowest labor participation rate since the 70s to 7 million new jobs, the best uh, employment situation in America since 1969, the largest tax cuts America's ever seen. The, the single greatest and biggest reduction in burdensome regulation and business. Then add on top of that energy independence for the first time in 75 years. And he's not dropping one hundred and fifty billion dollars in cash on the on a tarmac for radical uh, mullahs that want to wipe Israel and the United States off the map. Jonathan Gillum. Yeah. And also you can put in there that, you know, this isn't uh, President Trump isn't a guy who ran or is running on changing the Constitution. He's not somebody that ran or is running on trying to fix problems that don't exist, like trying to free up people's uh, debt and that they uh, got from going to college when nobody put a gun to their face and said, you have to go to college and you have to go to this expensive one. You know, this is the problem that I'm seeing as, as I've been around and talked to people and including liberals, is that people are trying to pick a president based on who they like, not based on who's an effective leader. I don't want people who've always succeeded because the majority of those people, and you can look at the resumes, they have silver bullets that they ride into everything that they do. I like to see people who've done huge things, 
who've had big failures and came back and had even bigger successes. None of the people that we talk about on the Democrat side are like that. All these people are running on issues that are not issues on a daily basis that affect this country or affect the people. They don't talk about China the way it should be talked about. They don't talk about any of these issues the way that they should talk. They talk about health care for everybody. They don't talk about cleaning up the inner city. They talk about uh, Trump's decisions on tariffs. They don't have a plan to deal with China, who was building not only an economic uh, fortress, but are trying to build a military fortress around the world. They don't talk to any of that stuff. You, there's nothing, Danielle, that you can say about any of these people, especially Buttigieg, who doesn't even know how to identify a weapon proper that he supposedly carried when he was in the military. There's nothing you can say about these people that will ever prove to me, somebody who's looking for a leader, that they have the ability or have shown that they have the ability to lead in all their time in politics. Danielle? I think I think any of these. I think Biden, I think Sanders, I think Warren, I think Harris, I think Buttigieg, any of these people could do the job of president, and they could do it well. None of them are going to give a $1.5 trillion tax cut to billionaires that is putting... All right, can, we, so can, we just, can I slow you down for a second? Hold on a second. When you have Paul Begala criticizing Sleepy Creepy, when you have David Axelrod saying, if you can't cut it, you can't hide. You got to you got to get out. Either you cut it or you can't. And that's probably the best you're going to get out of, of Sleepy Creepy. When you have a guy whose own wife says to, you know, you'll have to swallow and vote for Joe, my husband. That's not good. When when you have to have the guy's brain surgeon say, no, his brain is really working. And when he says stupid stuff like Joe three zero three three zero. Uh, on numerous occasions refers to Margaret Thatcher instead of Theresa May when he says poor kids is just as bright, just as bright as white kids. And he says you can't work at a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. And he said for the first time, uh, this is historic for the first time, you have an African-American that is bright, articulate and clean. It's storybook, man. And, of course, spent time uh, going against integration and supporting segregation uh, when he brags about being from a slave state. My, my state's not a liberal state. My state's a slave state. Um, and, you know, I can keep going. We, we choose truth over facts, he said. You really think he's up for this job? You really believe that? You know, I think he can do it. And I'm not going to say that he hasn't had his gas. I mean, you really believe he's up to be the president of the United States. Look, you know what he's not going to do is go to North Korea and get nothing out of it. He's not going to ban transgender people from the military. Well, I'm not going to. Well, I'm not going to let that stand. Donald Trump got the remains that have been of American heroes from the 50s. Donald Trump for months, over a year and a half. No, we weren't having rockets fired over Japan. Well, there have been a couple of tests lately, but not over Japan. Been six. Hang on. Six then we also got hostages released and the president gave nothing but his time. Now, I think if I'm going to get hostages released, remains returned and at least 18 months of no more rockets over Japan, I think the president did pretty good on that deal. We've had remains returned to us without any presidential. You know what I think is dumb? I think the president has ever gone because we give them legitimacy. OK, you know what I think? You want to talk about legitimacy? Did you think it was smart to drop one hundred and fifty billion in cash and other currency on the tarmac of mullahs in Iran that say they want to wipe Israel and the U.S. off the map? Was that smart? 
That was a decision that was made, by the way. I didn't ask you. Was, was it, you sound like the Blasio. Was yes, that a smart decision? Was that a smart decision? Yes, because we got an Iran yes. nuclear deal. And yes. We you think it was smart to bribe uranium. dictators that threatened to wipe us off the map? This was eight countries plus the European Union. I don't care about the eight countries. It was Biden and Obama, $150 billion. You think that was smart? I do. It did what it was meant to do. And now we have nothing. We We don't even have verification. In that deal, we didn't even have any place, any time inspections in Iran. You think I I, I mean, that's that is spectacularly amazing to me that you think that was a good deal. They exported 98% of their enriched uranium out of the country. They got rid of all their, or many of their centrifuges. They made a commitment to not enrich, and they did not enrich. They only started enriching to weapons-grade materials once we walked from... The only reason they had the ability is because Biden and Obama gave them the money, Jonathan Gillum. Do you, I mean, seriously, Danielle, do you think when you point out these statistics about uranium and these things, where do you get these statistics? We have a government that has lied to us about an investigation of our president, have spied on Americans, lied about that, came up with false information. And you're going to accept statistics about to them about what a country that may or may not be exporting their and, and or storing their uranium. Well, the fact is, our president was never spied. Know. Our president was never spied on, Jonathan. That's not true. That is 100 percent true. He was spied on in a multitude of ways. What do you think the FISA application gave uh, gave the the people that were were it gave them a backdoor access to all things Trump? What do you think the outsourcing? What do you think the outsourcing of illegal activities and and spying and intelligence gathering was for to circumvent American laws, to spy on Americans and a U.S. president? That all happened, Danielle. No, by the time Carter Page was being surveilled, he wasn't even in the campaign anymore. It didn't matter. It gave them a so, back door so into he- every past email chain he's ever had and a door to wherever that took them. Well, you know what? I, somebody's talking to Russia. I want to know about it. Don't you? Well, yeah, I'd like to know how Russia basically in the New York Times said it, not me, that they knowingly they knew the intelligence was going to Hillary Clinton And it was Russian misinformation from the get go, according to the New York Times. And she paid for it to influence and steal that election like she stole the primary from Bernie Sanders. And she had deep state operatives that should have put her in jail that that didn't apply the laws equally to her to allow her to continue in the race. And then they used her dirty Russian dossier as a means of bludgeoning a candidate, a a transition team and a president. So if they wanted her to win so badly, why did James Comey write a letter to Congress 11 days before the election? Because the NYPD was about to break it wide open because there were people that knew he was covering for her. There's your answer. And I got to take a it's break. All right. All right. Glad you're with us. 25 till the top of the hour. All right. So Danielle is standing by sleepy, creepy, crazy Uncle Joe. You know, you can't go to a 7-Eleven or Dunkin Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. And and oh, by the way, my state's a slave state. And his poor wife saying, yeah, you're going to have to swallow. You'll have to swallow a little to vote for my husband. We prefer truth over fa- facts. And poor kids are are just as uh, bright and talented as white kids. And. Oh, this is the first time ever you have an African-American who's bright, articulate and clean. Man, that storybook, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Oops, not Margaret Thatcher. I mean, it just keeps building. Now, let's remind Danielle as we continue our debate. If you agree with me, go to Joe. 
303-330 and help me in this fight. I watched what happened when the kids from Parkland marched up to, and I, 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 I met with them, and then they went off to up on the hill when I was vice president, and they went off the hill to go into those neighborhoods. We got to let them know who we are. We choose unity over division. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. Truth over facts. Words that stun the nation, and I would argue, I know, shocked the world. International leaders spoke about it. You had people like Margaret Thatcher, excuse me, you had people like the, the former chairman and leader of the party in, in Germany. You had Angela Merkel. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids, wealthy kids, black kids, Asian kids. Just like in my generation, when I got out of school, that uh, when Bobby Kennedy and Dr. King had been assassinated in, in the 70s, uh, late 70s, when I got engaged, um, you know, up to that time, remember, there was not, none of women will know this, but a couple men may remember. That was a time in the early, late 60s, or the early 60s and 60s, where it was drop out, go to Haight-Asbury, don't get engaged, don't trust anybody over 30. I mean, your candidate might be better on, I don't know, health care than Joe is. But you've got to look at who's going to win this election. And maybe you have to swallow a little bit and say, okay, I sort of personally like so-and-so better. But your bottom line has to be that we have to be Trump. Yes, I know that not all of you are committed to my husband. Um, and I respect that. But I want you to think about... Your candidate, his or her electability, and who's going to win this race? Yes, his own wife. You may have to swallow a little. I know you don't like Joe like your candidate, but maybe he's more electable. Okay, now I'm going to let Jonathan debate Danielle because I, I'm too apoplectic still over Danielle's support of this madness and support of the Iranian deal and this insanity of giving mullahs that threatened to wipe Israel and the U.S. off the map. I'm probably too angry today, Jonathan, to deal with her, uh, who's a good friend of ours, and I don't want to ruin our friendship, but uh, it drives me nuts. If if I can't believe anybody would think this man is ready to be president or Mayor Pete, as she's suggesting. So what do you say? I, I think, honestly, what it comes down to is the fact that the Democrats don't really care who's president as long as they get a win. And why is that? Because this is where I will give the Democrats uh, a round of applause. They are unified and they don't care. They don't hire individual congressmen. They don't hire individual senators or a president that thinks for himself, which this president that we have now shows that he can do. They want to pick people who will tow the ideological party line. And that is a severe problem because the party line and ideologies are not what fix problems. Solutions fix problems. And I will just, I want to say this to Danielle about what she said before about North Korea. You don't solve a case. If you go try a case, you're an attorney, you do a jury selection, you go through and you lay out the facts, you try to prove a guilt or not guilty to uh, the jury and to the judge. You don't do that in one sitting. You don't do that in one meeting. You don't do that with one proffer of the client, or in my case, when I was with the FBI, of the person that we may bring up on the stand. You do that over a period of time. These things take time. 
And for people to say, such as yourself, to go out and say, this president is a failure because he met with North Korea once and he didn't get what he wanted, is complete hogwash. It takes time. You have to build rapport. You have to look for facts. And there's political maneuvering that happens behind the scenes. All this stuff is nonsense. And it, it's time for you all to realize that you cannot pick a leader based on an ideology. You have to pick a leader if that's, in fact, what you want. You have to pick a leader that stands on their own and looks for solutions. And there's no argument that you're going to have against that. No, no. I, look, sure, Jonathan, I don't disagree. Uh, a couple of things. North Korea, totally agree. Your analogy to trial makes perfect sense. Here is the thing. Kim Jong-un and his father before him and his father before him, so the entire Kim dynasty, have looked for legitimacy since they since the, the, North, the end of the North Korea-South Korea war, right? They've looked for legitimacy. There have been there have been entreaties and there have been discussions for years, since the 90s. It never involved a president because that was the prize. The prize for North Korea was having a U.S. president on soil with flags alongside each other. That was a win for the Kim family, not only for this Kim, but for his father and his grandfather before him. My concern is that we, he got that photo opportunity. We didn't get anything yet. We got some remains. There's thousands more remains still to, to come back here. But the big problem with North Korea is there are nuclear weapons. They have long-range missiles. They threaten our homeland. They also threaten our allies in the region. We should care about those allies because they also help us against China. So that's why my concern showing up in Pyongyang and giving Kim Jong-un a win, and I'm not clear that we got anything on the nuclear side in response but to Danielle, it. Danielle, the real problem is that they are legitimized because of the 50 years that nobody fixed the problem. We could have gone in there multiple times and destroyed North Korea's ability to do anything, and we never did. Why? Because of politics. And now you have a country that has potentially nuclear weapons, and they're 30 miles away from 37 million people. Yeah, that so. has reached a level that is presidential. And for somebody to step up and say, I have the command presence, and the courage and the confidence to go in and face this person, well, you're going to have, that's what we need. We need somebody to, to show them not only are we willing, the, the most powerful world leader that there is, willing to come in there and say, listen, this needs to stop. But I don't doubt for a second, if they escalated it, that this president would do militarily what needed to be done. Those are things that stop dictators in their tracks. Sure, and I, I don't. I don't disagree. I, of course, I believe that our president and the people who are our military will do everything to protect Americans. There's no question in my mind that that's the case. My concern is that we gave them something, and we got nothing in return. And now it's been more than two years, obviously, nearly three years since the president has been the president, and we've got no change. In fact, we have now six different missiles, short range, threatening Japan. They have not stopped their nuclear weapons program at okay, all. Okay, I have I to. St I have to step in. One of the dumbest parts of the deal is Iran kept every ability that they had. There were they, they never agreed to our inspectors. They never agreed to any place, any time inspections. They basically said, give us the money and take our word for it. And they never stopped. We got nothing out of that deal. Zero. If you don't have any place, any time inspections anywhere, it doesn't it's not worth the the paper it's printed on. And just because Macron and Merkel think it's such a good deal doesn't mean a thing to me because 
I understand these radical mullahs for who they are. They have been fighting proxy wars. They have been fomenting terror. They have killed Americans in Iraq and elsewhere. They are the number one state sponsor of terror and giving them $150 billion to even spend more money fomenting terror and building their nuclear weapons is the single dumbest foreign policy blunder in the history. It's right up there with Neville Chamberlain telling uh, the people of Great Britain after the meeting in Munich that we'll have peace in our time. It is classic appeasement, just like Bill Clinton said, this is a good deal for the American people and we're not going to have nuclear weapons. When he tried to bribe Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-un's father, Donald Trump gave nothing to Kim Jong-un, nothing. Remains were returned. We had hostages returned. We had an 18-month stoppage of missiles flying over Japan and elsewhere. You know what? All Donald Trump gave him was time. That's it. Nothing else. He also stopped South Korean military exercises, which is an important thing not only for readiness, but to show North Korea that we are serious about that border and protecting our allies. We're still protecting South Korea with a military presence that is exactly the same. So so we can do as many military exercises as we want. North Korea is pretty darn aware that if we want, we'll wipe them out. There's nothing that, Daniel, there's nothing anybody can say. There's nothing anybody can say that will alleviate the burden of the media and the, and everybody else looking down at Trump every time he says something or does something that he's being hammered for it because of the way the world has been programmed to think that he's done the wrong thing. The fact is, this is exactly the way these things work out. And if you look at what Sean was just talking about with Iran, if you look at the way the Bo Bergdahl case was handled, if you look at all of the decisions that the Obama administration ever made when it had to do with bad people, it ended in appeasement. And it also ended with us getting nothing, or in the case of Bo Bergdahl, uh, basically a traitor, and they got five of the worst guys that we had in lockup. I mean, this is the way that they did it under the Obama administration. I would say even the Clintons did it. But when it comes to Trump, he's willing to sit down with people, maybe maneuver a little bit, But ultimately, what we still have there is a dictator that looks at President Trump and says, I don't know if I really want to mess with this guy. He hasn't done any big moves. Iran has done some things, but they haven't done any major moves. I would like to see a military strike on Iran. That's my own personal opinion. But I think when we look at the way the president works, these foreign foreign engagements with these dictators and these ideological uh, maniacs, he's gone smooth and he's gone straightforward and he is not appeased. That is the biggest thing that comes out of this. What you call appeasement, I call multilateralism. So the Iran nuclear deal was not appeasement. This is not Neville Chamberlain and Hitler. It's just not. It's just not. It was never designed to deal with their international, excuse me, international, uh, uh, their ICBMs, their missiles. It was never designed to deal with terror. There were other ways that we were dealing with, uh, which I agree, they're a massive threat. They are the biggest threat in the Middle East, if not the world. Believe me, I'm no fan of Iran, but what I didn't want and what I don't want is Iran to be enriching uranium so they have a nuclear weapon. And the deal was working. It's not working anymore. It's basically what's half done because the rest of the countries are still in. I guess this is my question. Why didn't he stay in and make it better? Why didn't he stay in and make it tougher? I think it could be made tougher. I totally agree with you, Sean. But walking away shows, A, we don't 
we don't keep our commitments because we, we walked away first and it's a huge PR win for them. Where do we go from here? Yes, we have more sanctions and we're leveraging and leveraging and leveraging. Will we ever get a deal or are we just going to basically leverage them and sanction them into the deal? I got to take a break more with Danielle and Jonathan. Danielle gets very poor grades today. I mean, I don't know. She usually is far more reasonable than this. I don't know what's happening. I think she's got sleepy, creepy, crazy Uncle Joeitis. I don't know. Maybe she really thinks these Democrats will be good for America. I don't think any of any of them are now resonating. And if we ever get the new Green Deal, say goodbye, bye, bye, American pie. It's over. All right, final moments. Uh, what has been a pretty feisty hour, Jonathan Gillum, Danielle McLaughlin. All right, if you had to predict today, both of you, I just want a name. Who will be the nominee and who do you want to be the nominee for the Democrats? Danielle, I will start with you. <laughs> oh, that's so kind of you. You know what, right now, I'm going to say Joe Biden and Joe Biden. And uh, don't get annoyed at me. Jonathan, <laughs> I know you don't want anybody because you're going to vote for Trump, Biden, but, but I don't know if he's. I, who do you, I don't know if he's who, who do you think it, it will think be? Elizabeth. You think it'll be who? Me? I think it'll be Elizabeth Warren. Most who likely. would you prefer Donald Trump go up against? Any of them. He's, he'll crush any of them if the American people wake up and see who a true leader really is and go back to the polls like they did, you know, in, in the last election. All right. Thank you both for being here. Jonathan Gillum, Danielle McLaughlin, 800-941-SEAN. Will you investigate the investigators? A lot of big breaking news. Our list, what is coming out now in the weeks ahead? Because it's all hitting in the fall. Jonathan so John Solomon's 10 items. Greg Jarrett weighs in on that. And of course, yeah, what did President Obama know and when did he know it as it relates to a counterintelligence investigation? That always starts with a president in an Oval Office. He knew. When did he know it? How did he know it? And why did he start it? And how often was he briefed on it? Greg Jarrett next as we continue. If you agree with me, go to Joe 30330 and help me in this fight. I watched what happened when the kids from Parkland marched up to and I, 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 I met with them and then they went off to up on the hill. When I was vice president. They went off the hill to go into those neighborhoods. We got to let them know who we are. We choose unity over division. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. Words that stun the nation, and I would argue, I know, shocked the world. International leaders spoke about it. You had people like Margaret Thatcher, excuse me, you had people like the, the former chairman and leader of the party in, the, in Germany. You had Angela Merkel. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids, wealthy kids, black kids, Asian kids. Mom uh, lived in uh, in Long Island for 10 years or so. Uh, God rest her soul. And uh, um, although she's wait, your mom's still your mom's still alive as your dad passed. God bless her soul. Better than anybody else. And you don't know my state. My state was a slave state. My state is a border state. My state is the eighth largest black population in the country. You got the first sort of mainstream African American who is articulate and bright and, and, and clean and a nice looking guy. I mean, it's, that's a story. They're going to put you all back in chains. Yeah, the first, you know, articulate, clean, mainstream, African-American. Man, this is storybook. OK, he's losing it. What was amazing as we look at Biden, by the way, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, you know, I'm looking at all this and I'm thinking, wow, 
Does uh, creepy, crazy, sleepy, creepy, crazy Uncle Joe, does he really understand uh, how much trouble he is in? I mean, all these reports out today. First, his wife, Jill, is urging Democrats to hold their nose and vote for her husband. How is that a campaign slogan? I would literally I, I think Joe Biden came up with what should probably be her husband's campaign slogan. Hold your nose and vote for creepy, you know, sleepy, crazy Uncle Joe. Maybe we get bumper stickers that say as much, but, you know, the campaign uh, buttons for, for the, you know, next 200 person Biden rally vote for my husband. I know he's a loose cannon loser and he has the worst track record of anybody in Congress, but he's our only chance to beat Trump. Even Axelrod is saying, uh, no, you can't hide him. You either can cut it or you can't. And that's probably the best that you got. Uh, the story now that has come out, the New York Times, that Biden promised Obama that he'd never run in 2020, quote, because he'd be too old. And Biden went so far as to pledge his undying loyalty to Obama, insisted that after two failed presidential campaigns, he'd given up on trying to be president. And he also told Obama aides that Barack would never have to worry about him positioning himself. Um, and Joe Biden, of course. To voters, you may have to swallow a little bit with my husband so we can beat Trump. I mean, what kind of slogan is this? If his, his own wife knows he doesn't have a fastball, a curveball, he doesn't even have a knuckleball. He has nothing. Iowa corn poll. It's Biden and, and Mayor Pete. Please tell me Mayor Pete's not going to be the nominee. He can't even run South Bend, Indiana. But I guess is that, is that what you're stuck with? Elizabeth Warren, she did get a, a fairly good crowd about we're told 12,000 people, according to the Washington Examiner, a town hall and a rally on uh, Sunday. I think this was up in New Hampshire. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. At least somebody got some crowd. It's not a Donald Trump crowd. I'll tell you that. And Obama once said, I don't know if you remember this. How many times is, is Biden going to say something stupid? That was his own president saying that about him. Uh, anyway, but then the bigger picture is, well, we've got two other issues with Biden. Number one is failed record, the economic record of Biden and Obama. I won't regurgitate my statistics. Then we've got the Iranian deal dropping one hundred and fifty billion in cash and other currencies on the tarmac and, and for the mullahs of Iran. Uh, then you've got this whole issue of Peter Schweitzer. I know this came up in a little rift that went on between Fox News, Steve Hilton and Brit Hume. And uh, but he has problems with, uh, you know, the sensitive tech issues with China. And it's all chronicled in Peter Schweitzer's book, who joins us now. It's always great to have Peter back as the author of Secret Empires. And um, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Sean. How are you? I want you to explain two particular issues John Solomon has hit this Ukraine issue really hard. You hit the China issue really hard. Combined, it shows a family that has enriched itself uh, while he was vice president and taking advantage of that position to the point where he was willing to withhold American monies in aid to Ukraine unless they fired the guy that was investigating his own son. Yeah, that's exactly right, Sean. You know, uh, Joe Biden becomes vice president in 2008 uh, to President Barack Obama, and he's got his son, Hunter Biden, who really his professional background is basically he worked for a credit card company, and then he was a lobbyist for online gambling companies. Uh, what he did was he set up a private equity firm and said, I'm now in the investment business. 
And Sean, this guy with no background in China, no background in Ukraine, really no background in private equity, lands these massive deals overseas while his father's vice president. One of them is with Ukraine, as you talked about. His father is the point person for Obama administration policy towards Ukraine, which means he's steering about $1.8 billion of U.S. aid. If Joe Biden says you don't get the aid, they don't get the aid. And lo and behold, Ukrainian corrupt oligarch says, you know what, we're going to put the vice president's son on the payroll. And so they put him on the payroll of a natural gas company. So let's add to the list, Hunter background. Hunter Biden has no background in energy policy either, puts him on the payroll and pays Hunter Biden, the son of the sitting vice president, $83,000 a month, basically to do nothing. Uh, and as this oligarch who's paying Joe Biden's son is under Ukrainian investigation. Joe Biden, the vice president, tells the Ukrainians, if you do not fire the prosecutor who's looking into this oligarch who hired my son, I'm going to withdraw and withhold a billion dollars worth of aid. And there's actually an audio tape of him saying that. I got the audio tape right here. We are prepared when Peter Schweitzer shows up. Now, the president, the vice president is in Ukraine. His son is under investigation. The president is supposed to turn over a billion dollars in aid to Ukraine, and he uses taxpayer dollars, your money, as leverage to get the prosecutor investigating his son, Hunter, uh, off the case and get and then literally demand he gets fired. And then later he brags about it. I said, I'm not going to we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours. I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a <laughs> got fired. Uh, oh, son of a. So he leverages American tax dollars. And how much? So now how much money a month was he making? $83,000 a month for how That's long? Right. That's right. How He's long did that go on up, for? Up until about four or five months ago. So he's made uh, net several million dollars from the Ukrainians alone. Now, now add to that, Sean, go halfway around the world. Can I ask you, does he yeah. have any knowledge, background, experience to do any of these uh, things or no? No, no. And and his job, by the way, when he was hired by this energy company, it was to do regulatory compliance in the Ukraine for this energy company. I mean, that assumes that he knows anything, anything about energy. There's nothing in his background. And that he knows something about Ukrainian regulations. Uh, I would dare say Hunter Biden probably doesn't know much about that either. And that's not why he was hired. Everybody knows why Hunter Biden was hired. Uh, it's just that the Bidens don't want to admit it. Let's go to the issue that you chronicled really well in your book. And it is amazing. All these guys go to Washington. They're not paid the kind of money that would make one a millionaire. You know, what is the average congressional salary today? One hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. I don't even know yeah. what it is. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. All right, but then you have to pay for where you live and then you have other expenses. So it's not a position where you'd become a millionaire. But interestingly, a lot of these politicians, they're there a long time. They end up being millionaires. How does that happen? 
Well, they end up being millionaires or they set their kids up to be millionaires, which is what Joe Biden has done. And we just talked about Ukraine. You go halfway around the world to Beijing, China, and what you find is there was a big payday for Hunter Biden there as well. Uh, the good news here, Sean, is we broke this story on your uh, radio and TV programs last year. Just a couple of days ago, Senator Grassley, the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, has asked the Treasury Secretary Mnuchin to investigate these deals because he's concerned about certain approvals that were given by the Obama administration of financial transactions involving Hunter Biden and the Chinese. But in, in a nutshell, Sean, what they basically did was Hunter Biden flew over on Air Force Two with his dad in December of 2013. Uh, they were there for a couple of days. Ten days after they returned, it was announced that Hunter Biden's small private equity firm, Rosemont Seneca Partners. Well, let me slow it, down. Does he have any background or experience in the type of business you're about to describe that made him rich? <laughs> None. No None. background in China, no background in private equity. And they get a billion-dollar deal that later becomes a $1.5 billion deal. And to tell you how weird this is, Sean, the deal was unique in a lot of ways, but it was unique in that it was through the Shanghai tree trade free trade zone, allowed them to take money in and out. This was a deal that nobody else on the face of the earth had. Not Goldman Sachs, not J.P. Morgan, not Bank of America, not Deutsche Bank. Small, tiny Rosemont Seneca Partners, which is run by Hunter Biden, got this deal from the Chinese government. And initially, you know, we reported this last year, Sean, and the Biden said this is ridiculous, it's not true. Now they've admitted that, yeah, okay, it is true, but there was nothing uh, unusual about it, which is totally ridiculous. But this deal... How much did he get paid on that deal? Well, the problem is we don't know, right? We know because of the Ukrainians, the Ukrainians released the corporate records. We have the financial records that show how much the Ukrainians paid him. We don't know how much Hunter Biden uh, got in this deal. And that's the problem, because there's no disclosure requirements for the son of the vice president to say how much the Chinese government is paying him in this deal. But here's what's troubling. It's not just that Hunter Biden got wealthy doing this and that Joe Biden has suddenly become soft on China. It's that the whole purpose of this investment fund that now Hunter Biden is in a partner in is to buy high-tech companies in the United States, some of which create dual-use technologies that benefit the Chinese military. And this is one of the things that Senator Grassley wants Treasury to look into. For example, this new fund that was created called Boi Harvest, Hunter Biden was on the board. His business partner, Devin Archer, was the vice chairman of the investment committee. They bought a Michigan company called Hennigus that produces uh, very high-tech anti-vibration technologies that have applications to the automobile industry but also to military technologies. Their investment fund, financed by the Chinese government, bought Hennigus along with a Chinese aviation company that's run by the Chinese military. Uh, the Chinese military that is hostile towards the U.S. All right, stay right there. Uh, Peter Schweitzer is with us. This A lot of this information is in his uh, latest book called uh, Secret Empires. Uh, you know, all of this corruption, all of this enrichment by all of these people and, and using the access even with our enemy countries. Oh, we get what you get what you want as long as you let my kids make money. Unbelievable. 
All right, as we continue, Peter Schweitzer is with us. Uh, two amazing stories. Has anyone else in the media picked up on either of these issues with Hunter Biden and his vice president, uh, father, uh, Joe Biden, in the energy specter, in the bond and, and I guess, market specter in, in China? Uh, this guy's making a bundle and he's flying on Air Force Two to get to China. And he's got a prosecutor that's investigating him that his father gets fired by leveraging U.S. dollars uh, in aid, a billion dollars worth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a huge story. Um, And look, uh, you broke this story in the national media when I came on your show last year. Uh, Since that time, I have to give credit, ABC News actually did confront Joe Biden about this. Uh, Joe Biden lied about it, said that there was nothing to it, uh, but they at least asked him the question. But, you know, Sean, what I tell people in the media is imagine if the names were different. Imagine if this was, you know, President Trump and one of his sons flew over to Beijing, China on Air Force One, and one of his sons struck a deal in, in an area that they had no background and experience, a billion-dollar deal. Would not the media be reporting it? Of course they would. Nothing like that's happened. They're not talking about this because it hasn't happened, but it's happened with the Bidens. And to me, it's that selectivity of the media, which is the reason their credibility is so declined. We, we ought to be reporting corruption, whatever name is it. I listen. I agree with you. I don't care who you are. You're there to serve. Right. If you want to do, if you want to do government work, you're there to serve. Right. You know exactly. And uh, if you don't want to serve the American people, then don't go into that business. Go into another business. That's All right, Peter exactly Schweitzer. Right. Got a roll. Thank you. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean, if you want to be a part of the uh, program. All right, when we come back, we'll get right to the phones. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean is our number. You want to be a part of this extravaganza? Lots more coming up straight ahead. An amazing Hannity tonight at nine. You don't want to miss. So, Sean, I didn't even get a word out. Welcome back to the Sean Hannity show. Sean, do you know what today is? I do know what actually I know what you're going to say. It is. It is National Radio Day. Do you know what National Radio Day is? I don't, but I have a special. It celebrates the impact that radio has had on American life since its invention. I I was talking. Um, so, yeah, um, I have a special soundbite. All right, let's play it. The notion that he'll come forward and say that he lied is not going to happen. He's not going to concede that he lied to the grand jury because he did not. Is this Whoops. Is this more of the arrogance? That's that, it. That, it would- that was radio gold in the making. All right. So let me explain what that was. Oh, please do. On National Radio Day. So I... Worked at uh, the ex-wife station in New York for a long time. And right next to my studio was the EIB studio of Rush Limbaugh and the EIB building. We, we did the show. Everyone did the show from the EIB building, which is actually called Two Penn Plaza in New York. And uh, uh, but there were people that would come to New York. Where's the EIB building? And well, Russia's building is right here. We happen to have the studio adjacent. Anyway, so they came to me once. I think it was Kit Carson uh, or somebody and says, hey, uh, would you like to fill in for Rush? And I'm like, sure. So I'm in the beginning of the opening monologue and I'm doing the. I'm in the zone. We got James Golden is there, Bo Snurdly, uh, Mike Maimonen is there, uh, John Perry, I think his name was, he was there, Kit Carson is a wreck, thinking, oh gosh, this guy's going to blow it. Anyway, that was part of the opening monologue, in the middle of the opening monologue, because Rush does have a gold microphone. What, what is this made out of? It's like made out of 
tin steel. Teflon. It's Teflon. <laughs> Teflon. The way exactly. you treat a microphone is Teflon. Yeah, nobody likes the way I treat a microphone. Rush does it the right way. He stands way, way back. Bill Cunningham sits way back here. Sean Hannity. You're Sh- a Bill American. Cunningham sits way back because he talks too loud. No, he sits back and he likes to lean back in his chair and he talks just extra loud and he's screaming when he does. My kids would always ask that. I'll get to that in a second. Anyway, so into the opening monologue of Rush's show and I'm thinking, oh man, oh man, 600 stations. What am I going to do? I'm trying to be on my game. And his golden microphone, it is gold. It falls. And it's like thud. And then I'm like, I go down, pick up the microphone to the extent that I can. I finish the monologue. Then I go to a break. And I'm sweating profusely by the time you get to the break because it was very early into the show. You know what, Sean? I think I think the audience should hear you drop it one more time. Uh, no, here's the thing. No, no, let's do He's it again. He's not going to concede that he lied to the grand jury because he did not. Is this? Whoops. Is this Whoops. more of the arrogance? Oh yeah, there uh, you go. There's a star uh, is born right there on national radio. That was day. the moment. Well, the great thing. So Rush comes back from vacation. He had heard about the story. Uh, oh, it was the drop heard around the world? Oh, nerdly, Sean Hannity dented my microphone what happened he came back and one of the funnier things kick carson once who was i am so sad i love that man and he worked for rush all those years and it was a family i mean we were in the same building so we all became really good friends Bo snurley all those guys mike mamone who we love um and anyway so um One night I was doing when I first left Atlanta to work at Fox in October of 1996. Well, I got hired because I've been doing nine to noon every day. I got hired to work uh, at WABC in New York City station. I grew up listening to just like WOR, our new wife station in New York. And I would do 11 to two. We were talking about it the other day. Candy's asleep. It was hilarious all night long. Um. But I love oh, what's very funny about that for a second. It's yeah. just you laughing because it's so authentic. So, You're like, oh, my God, so she's really asleep. Oh, it makes me sad because she passed away too. Yeah. Marty passed away. Oh, terrible. Marty slammed the beaches of Normandy. But we had a cast of ensemble characters that were, you know, insomniacs like me. And it was great because it fit my lifestyle. I don't go to sleep anyway, so I might as well talk. And I, it was really something special. And so at, I, I just became friends with all of these guys and it it opened up a door for me that I never thought I had. And I forgot the original story I was going to tell. Um, oh, I remember. So at night, so Russia's phone bank, and this is when Kit got so mad at me. So I don't know if Rush ever knew this uh, because Kit was, you know, he was Russia's guy. He's very loyal to Rush, fought for Rush. I, I had total respect for that. And so I was on 11 to two one night. And then I'd go on. I went on the air and Russia's lines are ringing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we pick up the phone. Uh, welcome to the EIB network. Rush Limbaugh show. Mega ditto. So I, I go on there. All right. Let's check in with Charlie's uh, calling in from uh, Florida. Charlie, welcome to the EIB network. Rush. Mega dittos. Mega dittos, Rush. Uh, mega dittos to you. And. I, you know, I'd do it for as long as I could keep it up. The, the audience loved it. The people had no idea I was, you know, playing around with them all. It was kind of it, radio could be so much fun. You can have so much fun. Kit Carson. Now, we had done it maybe three or four times before he found out about it. 
And he came in, or I think we started doing the rush caller of the night. We do it just like one a night. And Kit Carson comes up. We're literally fuming. You know, Irish guy, tall, red hair, in my face. Uh, You think that's funny? Better not happen again. I said, okay. You know, I mean, I probably should have asked permission, but, you know, I'd rather ask forgiveness, I guess. Uh, Come on, that's pretty funny. Listen, I love Kit, and Kit yeah. and I were very close. Nah, so I, I mean, know. but he—he he, he actually missed. told me, "What did he say? You were? Oh, when I met Sean, he was a young buck, mm-hmm. and he was a reverend." I said, "A reverend." He—he he was, and he—and he had every right to to tell me to knock it off. You know, I think I'm being funny. I'm enjoying myself. I'm figuring, well, it's eleven to two at night. Now that station signal, you're heard in. 38, 40 states, it booms across the United States and Canada. 50,000 watt clear channel station. Uh, I never asked Rush if he knew about that. I don't think I want to ask Rush if he knew about that. I'm going to text James right now. I don't want to, I don't want to get, I don't want to get, uh, I don't want to get yelled at again. Uh, We become friends. So he, I, you know what it is? That would be something Rush would do. Rush, if he was doing late night TV, I could see uh, late night radio. I could see him doing that. Uh, anyway, it is national radio. Radio is such a great medium. It's a heart medium. Yeah. You have to paint the picture. I'm sitting here in my gray T-shirt, my jeans. You know, we all just hang out all day over there. They're drinking moonshine every day. I don't. By the end of the show, they're oh, all absolutely. tanked. I can't even spell my own name. All right. Let's go to uh, Dan is in Michigan. Dan, the man. How are you? Glad you called, sir. I'm good, Sean. How you doing? I'm good. What's going on? Yeah, hey, happy National Radio Day. And if I may, happy National Limbaugh and Hannity Radio Day. Well, um, thank you. Well, it means a lot to all of us. We can't forget our buddy Mark either, the great one. Yeah. I have a yeah. story with him. I, I forced him to do radio. I literally had to. Pull. <laughs> he didn't want to do it. I'm like, no, no, no. You're going to be great at it. I promise you. No, no, no. Yeah. I don't know how to do those intro and outro things. What do you mean? <laughs> I said, okay, I'll write it out for you. All right. I'm Mark Levin in for Sean Hannity. Call this number. <laughs> we'll be back. I'm Mark Levin in for Sean Hannity. Here's our number. Now, let me go back to, I'll say what nobody else. I'll say it. Nobody else will say it. <laughs> there. I said you're it. Pretty, Sean, Sean, you're pretty good at imitations. I have to, I have to hand it to you. Yeah. Well, it got me in trouble with Kit Carson and I feel bad about it now. <laughs> Why yeah. am I feeling guilty? Because I'm I was raised Catholic. I feel guilty about everything. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Sean. Yeah. Um, hey, if if we took if we took you know every and you've been nailing it perfectly as you always do, but if we took all of our nation's inner cities, known areas, and we added up five brutal categories of crime: shootings, killing, armed robbery, armed assault, rape, and carjackings. Those five brutal. There are thousands of those brutal crimes every single week. If you add all the nation's inner cities, thousands every week. All cities, as you point out, run by liberal Democrats. So here's the question, Sean, for the liberals. What Republican-run area of the U.S. where any of those crimes on a weekly basis are being committed by white supremacists week in and week out? Name me one. Listen, let me tell you what I think of anybody with any sick, twisted ideology. 
I find, you know, when I think of white supremacist, racist jackasses, they're jackasses. You know, right. they I don't know how they their whole lives become consumed with this this ideology of theirs. I'm like, go to work. Have you ever met anybody outside of the five people you hang out with and, you know, chant your stupid slogans with? And, you know, I don't care if it's Louis Farrakhan racism, white nationalism, racism, supremacy people. They, they're yeah. to me, they're ignorant morons. And all they're doing is dividing this country. And I I don't yeah, have well, any pay or Black Lives Matters. You know, what do we yeah. want? Dead cops or Antifa people or Occupy people. I mean, it, what we see in every instance are people that need to go find a life. And understand that other people exist in this world and your life that has been given to you by God, our natural rights are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness and that we're all created equal. And I believe that with all my heart. And I think people that don't believe that are dumb and I think they are ignorant. And it drives me nuts when conservatives are portrayed this way because it's a total lie, because I don't know any mainstream conservatives that would think this way. None. One more thing, Sean. Can yeah. I add one more thing? If and listen, I agree. My point is, is that you and I be the first ones cracking down on white supremacists. But can you imagine if white supremacists were doing the the brutal crimes in our inner cities around the country? That had been shut down forty years ago. But but for some reason, they don't want to shut down the current brutal crimes, and that's kind of my point, which is what you've been saying. Listen, I am telling you, you can look all this talk. Like, remember when the James Byrd ad came up and George Bush, the the, innocent person dragged to his death, dragged with chains by the back of a truck. You've got to be one soulless, evil SOB to do that to a fellow human being. Um, And he got the death penalty. George Bush supported the death penalty. Then he runs for president. It becomes an ad where they have images and the tagline is, well, it's like my father was killed all over again because George Bush doesn't support hate crimes. Jane Mullins, James Burr's daughter. On June 7, 1998, in Texas, my father was killed. He was beaten, chained, and then dragged three miles to his death, all because he was black. So when Governor George W. Bush refused to support hate crimes legislation, it was like my father was killed all over again. George W. Bush and tell him to support hate crime legislation. We won't be dragged away from our future. Okay, George Bush supported the death penalty. You know, the idea that you're going to punish people for what's in their head when they commit an evil atrocity against a fellow human being, it's irrelevant in the sense as long as we punish them for the crimes they commit. Uh, Thank you. Brian, North Carolina. What's up, Brian? How are you? Glad you called, sir. Hey, big time Sean Hannity. How you doing, brother? That's act. We're going to tell AJ next time he calls in, somebody's trying to rob his act. What's going on, Brian? How are you? That's I'm good. That's my tribute to him. I love him. Every, um, by the way, we met AJ. Oh, AJ. Oh, well, Linda and AJ were hugging for two hours together. It was uh, it was like, really? You know what they say when you find a good thing, never let them go. Uh, but that they held on tight. A- AJ is so full of passion and life wants knowledge, fights hard. I love that guy. I love him, too. He's awesome. Well, listen, um, I called in because last Friday you had two pastors on, and one of them uh, was basically you know, an anti-gunner as well. And he actually had the nerve to say um, that 
you know, mass murders only occur um, by people with guns. And what got me was I wanted to scream into the radio, dude, four people just died last week in California by somebody with a knife. I believe it was a machete. So, you know, you've said it a lot. Evil exists in this world, and it doesn't matter what tool they want to use. If they want to kill, they will kill. Sick. Listen, this is a I I love the Rocky speech. You know what? We'll cue it up when we get back. And he says to his son, this war, nothing is going to hit as hard as life. It's not a matter how hard you get hit. You know, like you're going to be brought to your knees, how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. We'll play it on the other side. We'll play it on the other side of this break. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. All right, here is the, the Rocky speech I was talking about with the last caller. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload in the final hour of the Sean Hannity Show. If you agree with me, go to Joe 30330 and help me in this fight. I watched what happened when the kids from Parkland marched up to, and I, 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 I met with them, and then they went off to up on the hill. When I was vice president. They went off the hill to go into those neighborhoods. And you don't know my state. My state was a slave state. My state is a border state. My state is the eighth largest black population in the country. You got the first sort of mainstream African American who is articulate and bright and they're going to put you all back in chains. All right, there it is. There is a meltdown. The head of the Iowa Democratic Party stating publicly that pretty much every Democrat in Iowa and they want a more establishment Democratic candidate uh, in a full panic over Joe Biden's disastrous weekend. Now, 303. 303- 3-0 is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you're talking about a gaff machine of, you know, poor kids are just as bright as white kids. You know, it's the first time ever. I mean, that you have a African-American that's articulate and bright and clean. Wow, that's storybook, man. And then, of course, we have him mistakenly saying he was vice president meeting the kids after the Parkland shooting. Uh, He wasn't vice president in 2018. We choose truth over facts. Yeah, we got that one. You can't go to a Dunkin Donuts or a 7-Eleven unless you have a slight Indian accent. His state is a slave state. We're not like those northeastern states. No, liberal states. No, this state was a slave state. Uh, and it goes on and on and on. And you have to wonder, well, did Joe Biden lose his fastball or did he even really ever have one? But five major gaffes in one weekend has uh, put real fear and panic into the hearts of the Democratic Party. Anyway, glad you're with us. News Roundup Information Overload Hour. Ari Fleischer is with us. Uh, media consultant, political aide. I don't know how he did it. He was once the press secretary for President George W. Bush. I think the hardest job of 
anybody in Washington ever to deal with these idiots in the media mob. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. How did you handle that without imagined. like one day not unloading on them? I mean, I, I mean, you must have the patience of Job. I couldn't do it. I could not do that job. Well, you know, Sean, reporters love Republicans, and so it was an easy job. They would just lob yeah. balls at me all day long. <laughs> I would return yeah. them. Yeah, Bush lied and people died. I know. Here we go. Um, yeah, there we go. You know, it is funny. Um, I know that you, even you have said, you know, maybe Donald Trump shouldn't fight back as often as he should. I don't think people look at the other side of the equation, though. Um, you know, just look at like yesterday or in the last week, uh, he has a plan to exterminate Latinos. That was said by a host on NBC or, you know, uh, on, on crazy liberal morning, Joe, that the administration is openly trying to keep America a majority white country or Julian Castro. They're clearly trying to establish a whiter nation. And you look at manufactured crisis, manufactured crisis, stormy, stormy, racist, racist, Russia, Russia, impeachment, impeachment. And you just see this this rage, psychosis, hatred that is every second minute hour of the day. It's never been this bad. And, yeah, Trump fights back. But nobody talks about how often he gets hit. Look, I, I wrestle with this a lot, Sean, because I think it's the biggest criticism I have heard about Republican style, that Trump, thank goodness, fights back. And there's merit to that. But there's not merit to it every day. And here's what I'm getting at. Nobody in politics will ever make the loonies on the left go away. Trump won't. Bush won't. Trump's successors won't. Nobody will. They'll be out there saying these ridiculous things like Biden said about put y'all back in chains. It doesn't matter who you are. They'll say it. The issue to me with the president, though, is does he sometimes fight back well and win the day, or does he sometimes fight back so hard by polarizing his opponents, but particularly for suburban college-educated women and people in suburbs? Republicans are losing those people. Donald Trump is losing those people. Can he win an election without those people? So it's a question of degree, Sean. I want him to fight back. And frankly, I think without his personality, you never have a president who takes on China the way he's doing it. No smooth talking politician would ever do it. So there are things about his personality but, but didn't that, America, abrasive that also make him effective. There are also things that can go too far and it ought to be said. Listen, I think the people that have gone the furthest over the edge, it's a combination. They're they're, they're they literally are tied at the hip, which would be the media mob that just rages, you know, just every single day. We've had two and a half years of lies, propaganda, conspiracy theories, all proven false. They still can't let it go. And then they just move on to the next talking point that happens to be coordinated with the Democratic Party. But I think the American people knew full well who they were electing. They were electing an iconoclastic outsider and a disruptor that was going to take on the whole sewer swamp culture of Washington and he was going to break a lot of dishes. And I think the guy that has kept every promise, tax cuts, cutting and ending burdensome bureaucracy, originalist justices, fighting for the wall, making us energy independent, better trade deals. You know, go down the list. This guy fought for every one of the promises he made, which I can't. You know, a lot of most politicians don't do that. They don't fight that hard. And I think people I'm now have grown accustomed to his style. I 100% agree with everything you just said, but here's what would be even better. He does everything you just said 
without having said about four congressmen, go back to the country where you came from and improve those countries before you come and criticize me. Without well, we're gonna get, we got to get that comment right. He says, he all right, well, you can go those. back to the country yeah, he you came from, fix it, and then, and then come back and yes. then come back and show us how. That's what I just said. Okay. But it would have been better if he never said, go back to the countries where you dot, dot, dot. It would just would have been better. Because what happens when you talk like that, you send signals to other people who are immigrants or first-generation Americans saying, am I supposed to go back if I disagree with the president? Is he targeting me? It's not just about those four congressmen. It's the signals you send to others in society. Well, hang but, on. Yeah, Aren't we dealing with a bigger issue, yeah, though, when, when you talk that there is a foundation to this of virulent anti-Semitism? Uh, harsh about com- that. Uh, well, what seem like sympathetic comments to radical groups that want to destroy us and Israel. Um, again, that. there's context and texture to everything. And uh, the president has been very clear many, many other times that he wants the wall to stop the 90 percent of heroin and the cartels and, you know, the MS-13 types from getting in. But he wants a big door so that immigrants can come in. And he said that uh, and- how many times? All agree with, all agree with. But my, my point is, if you're coaching a baseball team and your team hit a bunch of home runs and is doing really good things well, but they made three errors, you work on those errors during the week. You drill so you don't make the same errors again. You keep hitting your homers, but you got to stop making the errors. I'll concede the point. point. Uh, let me concede your point. I would say that every one of us can learn and do better and but I don't think it's realistic in, in Trump's case, in this in to this extent, <laughs> that he's going to fight all day for what he promised the American people. And he's going to get hammered the way he gets hammered. I, I, look, I thought George W. Bush got the crap beat out of him every single day. And I, I George W. Bush, much to my chagrin, didn't fight back harder. Uh, I know him to be a nice, good, decent man. Mitt Romney is a nice, good, decent man. And they still said he was a racist and a misogynist and a horrible person and a false caricature was painted against him. They did the same thing to a guy they said they liked, John McCain. John McCain ran for president. John McCain got the crap kicked out of him by the media. And then when he became a little anti-Republican again, he was loved by the people that called him racist and everything in between. So this is a very predictable pattern that Democrats use. Used to be every two and four years. Now it seems like it's every day. Yeah. And I don't disagree with anything you said there again. I'm with you on all of that. And we're probably a lot closer than it sounds like, Sean. I really do think the difference comes down to finesse. Hit your homers. Be tough, but don't do anything that goes too far. And I submit to you for every time, for every five homers he hits, one time he goes too far. That's it. I actually, I, I don't think that's bad advice at all. I really don't. I think you. I think what he's doing and what frustrates me about Republicans is that I'll give you a quick example. How many votes did we have to repeal and replace Obamacare when they knew that Obama was never going to go along with it and they'd never pass it? What, 60, 65, 70 votes? And, mm-hmm. and the Senate in 2015, they they pass a complete, clean repeal bill. Then when it matters, seven of those Republicans, when they had the chance to do it and Donald Trump would have signed it, seven of those Republicans backed off. They didn't really mean it. And what I see is in the Republican Party, I see a lot of weakness. I don't see the passion to 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 fulfill promises and advance the country uh, and get the job done. 
And I see the president out there often alone doing the heavy lift of really trying to implement the conservative policies that Mitt Romney said he stood for, but he didn't win. And it's frustrating to see the internal fight from people like him. And you can go on to other issues as well. Moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, He's done a lot of things taking on that we've all dreamed about that politicians talk about and never do. And that's one of the reasons I've warmed to President Trump. It's one of the reasons I recognize that maybe rhetorically he can can go too far, but look at his policies. Look how effective they've been. Look how successful they are. And look how tough he has been where we need to be tough. And I admire that and I like that. So I think Trump is winning people over, but at the same time, I I look at elections as saying, you got to win over a majority. You can't come close. You can't get 47 or 48 percent. You better get 49 or 50 percent or 51%. And it's right on these margins that you can lose a close election. And I want him to win. So I'm not going to be afraid to criticize him when I think he's done something that hurts himself and sends a wrong signal. And I do recognize he is up against really a democratic media complex. The, the degree to which the press goes to minimize and soften what the Democrats do wrong and then to pounce on the president is fierce. It's one of the reasons he calls them fake news. He's tired of them. I don't blame him for that. Uh, but if I was on the inside giving him advice, I would try to point out, and it's ineffective. Nobody can give him advice, I think. But I would try to say you, you got to just be wise in your criticisms. You don't have to pulverize your opponents. You need to beat your opponents. I'd say it a different way. I think you're right. And a lot of your your I think I don't even think it's really criticism. I just think it's stylistic differences. And I would say we don't need to hear every thought that crosses his head. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that's probably true of everybody. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, I have been advocating more than anything, especially when it comes to issues of national security, national defense. Well, number one, I want every American, we will see the standard of living of every American go through the freaking roof if we just go ahead with the resources that we own. That would mean oil and gas and coal, the lifeblood of our economy, and stop being stupid and reliant on countries when it's it's our whole economy to provide the lifeblood of our economy. These, a lot of these countries hate us. You want to drive Putin to his knees, outproduce him and get our natural gas to our allies in Europe. And then, you know, people like Angela Merkel won't be making Putin and Russia rich again. You want to talk about Middle Eastern countries, some that practice Sharia and they hate our guts. We got to kiss their ass for our oil when we have more oil than they do. That's what makes this dumb new green deal proposal to eliminate oil and gas in 10 years scary um but the next thing i want to do is when it comes to foreign entanglements i want to make sure that we don't all get gung-ho send our guys out to fight like we did in vietnam like we did in iraq and afghanistan and then all of a sudden the war gets politicized by the very people that send our national treasure to go fight those wars So what I'm suggesting is why I think the president is fighting so hard with these massive increases in military spending. I know some people say the debt, the debt. Once we build up our military and make it the baddest, meanest, toughest, most sophisticated, the next generation of weaponry is what I want. In other words, so we don't ever have to put any boots on the ground ever. We won't be sending kids to Iraq. 
going door to door, knocking on doors and saying, uh, you know, not knowing if there's a tripwire they're about to step on. We didn't even have up armored Humvees early on in that conflict. And then we lose 10,000 people. And then how do we define victory? It's got to stop. Anyway, one of the things over the years I've got. I, I want our wars fought from Tampa or any other city. I want buttons pushed and I want people demolished that are our enemies. I know that might sound controversial. You might. But if you're in a war, what's war about? It's about winning it. Otherwise, don't get in it. If you have no plans to win it. Don't get in it. Somebody starts one with you. You better be able to win it. So we need both the next generation of offensive weapons and defensive weapons. So nobody can mess with the greatest country God gave man. It's that simple. Anyway, I've gotten to know a lot of these military guys, and they're just an extraordinary group of people. Well, when the word selfless comes up, that's them. They do all these tours of duty. Many of them even severely injured, losing limbs and, and legs and arms and disfigurement. It's horrible to see. Or you meet the kids of the fallen and you look in their eyes and it's like we have an obligation to take care of these kids. Um, but you don't get some of the fun. One thing I've learned about my military buddies is they, are, they all have sick, twisted senses of humor. They are absolutely rock and roll fun. I mean, you want to talk about freedom and fun. That's that's their credo. God, family, freedom and fun. There's no better guys to hang out with. You want to go out for a night on the town? They're going to tell their stories abroad. And I sit there. Wow. I thought I had good stories to tell about TV. Uh, but anyway, one such uh, person is in our studio. Matt Best is with us. And Matt has become really a, a phenomenon in his own right. Got to give him a lot of credit here. Army Ranger, five combat deployments, also former CIA contractor, five years. He's put out a new book. It's called Thank You for My Service. Which it's very, very funny. It's an un unapologetic lap your ass off military memoir, both vets, civilians. You can get a little insight into the lives that these guys live. And Matt's devoted to veterans and looks for opportunities to meet them, talk with them, especially these guys with PTSD, which is real. I've I've been involved in a few of those projects. Uh, anyway, how you doing? Phenomenal. Thanks for having me, Sean. So Army Ranger five combat deployments uh where were they uh fort iraq and one afghanistan and ranger battalion four in iraq and one in Afghanistan. and were you part of these crews going door to door uh that's pretty much what i did my whole career was direct action of about 19 months on the ground there in uh, special operations before being a contractor and it was always to kill or capture hvts we the problem is is we we didn't have enough guys we had to keep sending people like you back three, four, five times. How many people that you work with that you knew that were strong, tough people are really struggling now back here? Absolutely. I mean, comparatively to me, I only have five trips. I know friends have done 15 and then gone on to tier one units. And there's the toll it takes on your mind and body is astronomical. Yeah, the stress and the pressure. Absolutely. It's like adrenaline 24 seven. That's that's all it is. You're hitting, you know, three, four five targets a night and uh, each one behind that door. You're expecting someone to shoot at you. So. Did you follow this case of Eddie Gallagher? A little bit, yes. I mean, there are people like Clint Lawrence, others, you know, in the Clint Lawrence case, he's in Leavenworth, you know, it was 20, 30 years in jail, whatever it is. He took over a platoon and the week before members of that platoon and their leader had been killed and killed by a motorcycle bomber. Uh, then his first week there, he has to decide, uh oh, holy crap, here come two guys on motorcycles. What do we do? Well, he made the decision not to risk the lives of his men. Right. And he took him out. And now he's spending 30 years in jail. Uh, how does some jackass in Washington get to determine whether or not he made the right call when it's life and death? They're not there. 
that's the really challenging part of that. You know, I think that there's people try to put politics in war, but we've, we're going to send men and women to go fight on behalf of America. We have to let them do their job and do it correctly. The second we start inhibiting what they can do on the ground, uh, we're just going to get friendly people killed and let the enemy take more of our lives, which is absolutely unacceptable. What were the differences between Obama and Trump with the rules of engagement? You know, I think the best thing Trump did, especially with ISIS, was said no holds bars. He allowed uh, tier one units and have the ground level um, ground force commanders to do their job and just eradicate them, which was phenomenal. Because prior to that, there was a lot of politics um, that were inhibiting them from actually killing killing ISIS. You think about all that our guys go through. I mean, it's been brutal. Um, you have you got I'm reading this book. You have a pretty fun side in all of this. I do. You know, I think that I've uh, spent so many years um, on the ground overseas that really what we did was laugh through the, the horrors of war. And, you know, we're obviously professional on target. But when you get off, you have to laugh in the team room about guys jumping out right in front of you and blow themselves up and near death experiences. And humor is such a good therapeutic thing to deal with that. And it kind of builds that cohesive and community in your teams. Do you think the humor that you you reveal in this book <laughs> i love the chapter by thank you for my service uh explain what that means um honestly thank you for my service you know this is the greatest country of all time as you said earlier in the intro and i was I'm, i was blessed with the opportunity to serve my country especially in special operations so um i kind of want to combat that victim mentality towards veterans you know i'm a guy here that has been fairly successful post-war post-military and i want to influence our community to be great and moreover take care of the people that actually actually need help, whether it's moral grief, PTS and that kind of stuff and making a change at the individual level rather than just splurting support veterans. That doesn't do anything. You have to take action. Action gets results. Have you seen since President Trump has gotten in office, I know that he's been trying to deal with the horrors that are known as the VA. Have those problems been fixed? Are they being resolved? I would say there, there's a there's a good mission forward to resolve it. And the good part about the uh, president in the White House right now is he actually cares about veterans. And I think there's, you know, you have to do that because the country expects you to, but having the actual empathetic approach to men and women who have served, uh, I believe that President Trump has that and that it's a wonderful thing. You describe in the book, well, you had a bad skin infection over somewhere, right? At one point? I got a flesh eating bacteria in the uh, swamps of Florida in Ranger School. It was not fun. Oh, that doesn't sound like fun. You were in Ramadi kicking down. I remember covering it all. I remember flying over there myself to mm -hmm. Iraq with uh, Don Rumsfeld at the time. But uh, you're going in kicking down doors. You don't know what's on the other side of that door. Uh, you, you blew up trucks full of enemy combatants and you witnessed the effects of suicide bombings right in front of your face. Um, tell us what that's like when you see that stuff. Cause you know, I, one of the things I've noticed and I'm, I don't think we need in America, we have an all volunteer army, uh, but I meet these kids in Israel. They have to serve two and a half years right? and their service I think makes them tougher. And the reality of their geopolitical location yep. There's a reality of those, you know, alarms going off constantly and those missiles that are being shot into Israel that are being taken out of the air because of the Patriot missile system we have. Absolutely. I think that that's part and what uh, thank you for my service. My book is combating is this PC culture where people live in this fake safety bubble. And I think guys like me and other people have done far more have experienced war firsthand and understand how crazy some people are. And I'm just thankful to be alive and, and most importantly, share those stories of what real war is like. So people get a good education and perspective on what it's like to be on the ground and in a gunfight, you know, from 15 meters away. You know, it is the hardest thing when you see wh when you're successful in defeating an enemy and you get them and you blow them up and they don't blow you up. 
I would imagine you, even though you never grow up thinking you're going to end up killing somebody, when you do and you know that they wanted to kill you and your the people you're out there fighting with, what does that feel like? Well, I hope to never have to kill anybody again, but absolutely, you know, uh, part of why I love doing what I did so much was we'd often go after IED makers and people that were actively pursuing to kill Americans. And then when you actually get to put a bullet through one of their heads and know that they will not, um, you know, essentially take any more lives of, of your brothers, that is a, a dark but fulfilling um, um, emotion for sure. Well, I think it's the hardest job out there. And, you know, I've been on uh, Dick Cheney and I once went together. He supports this group out in Wyoming called Rivers of Recovery. And all these guys that did all these massive amounts of, of duty and tours of duty and they'd come back and it just they're not the same. They're not the same person. And it takes them a while to get back to civilian life. It's not like, oh, I'm home. Let me go back to oh, oh hello, everybody. I missed you. A absolutely. And I think the that's part of why I co-founded Black Rifle Coffee with Evan Hafer was let's create a support system and opportunity for veterans. And we can create an ecosystem that is mm -hmm. pro-veteran. And if civilians want to be a part of it, they have to assimilate to our culture. And, and that's why we're so mission focused right now with with that company. I was just about to get to that. You started three massively successful businesses that direct benefit and directly benefit veterans. Uh, one we're proud to have as an advertiser, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Article 15 clothing. And now you came out with Gunslingers Whiskey. Yeah, Gunslingers Whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's why I haven't had any. Linda's been drinking it. <laughs> She's been taking Matt it. Matt and I are dear friends. And you're welcome. You're I took friend. it off your hands. You're welcome. All right. Um, Tell everybody how Black Rifle came together, because basically you were all drinking government coffee and it sucked. Absolutely. And Evan has such a cool background in coffee. And then with my brand and marketing side, we kind of just joined forces and said, uh, you know, everybody says it's time to support veterans, but then they don't do it. And so we rallied around our own community and said, how do we make a difference? And then how do we have people vote with their dollar, people that love America, that are patriotic? And you don't have to necessarily serve to do that. And so we wanted to really build the infrastructure going forward to combat kind of hardcore progressive America that doesn't let police officers uh, use their bathrooms. Yeah, no, it's unbelievable. So you order all these beans. Where'd you order them from? We get them all over, but uh, Colombia and Brazil mainly. Okay. And then you make your own blends that nobody else ever thought of. Absolutely. We roast everything in house. You create the best coffee with the least bitter taste and the most I mean, it jacks me up. I mean, I'm drinking some right now. <laughs> Matt, I think you should know that Sean is an AK-47 monthly pod member. Thank you very much. Yes. Mm -hmm. One of my I favorites. Like the pods. But the what I what I thought was coffee, like at these, you know, the at these companies that let you dispose of your needles <laughs> in right. the bathroom um, and, you know, are rude to our, our police officers and law enforcement, those guys, um, you guys wanted a different culture. Would, will there be a day where every town and city, like they used to have a Bucks coffee or something, mm -hmm. Um, is there going to be a black rifle coffee shop? 100%. And I think that they're kind of sleeping on us because they consider us just a bunch of knuckle dragging uh, veterans. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case at all. So we're already rolling out a franchise. How are your program. sales growth in the last couple of years? Phenomenal. And in part uh, with your support of the company. Thank you so much. Well, but you give back. By the way, you hire heroes, those that have served. You hire first responders. You hire people that, that and you give back to these charities and causes a percentage of your income. Absolutely. Um, and it's basically a company created by military heroes, hiring military heroes and gives back to military heroes. Absolutely. We just want to serve an amazingly quality product and then also have a great mission statement because no one else out there is doing it.
The book is called Thank You for My Service, Matt Best, uh, in bookstores everywhere now and Hannity.com. And uh, you're going to love this book. It's it brings you inside the life that of heroes and the bravest and best this country's got our national treasure. Hannity.com, Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. Thank you for my service. Matt Best, good to see you again, Thank bro. Thank you so much, Sean. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.